Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I wonder if you remember what the best meal you've ever eaten is. What's the best meal you've ever had? You know, it's often that uh, our memories and nostalgia can be tied to food or to meals we've had. So think about that. When was the best meal you've ever had? Where was the best meal you've ever had? You know, Marianne and I have been to all kinds of really good restaurants in cities all over the United States, but none of those were my favorite meal. Uh, my favorite meal was at a McDonald's. It was at McDonald's in uh, Warsaw, Poland in 1992. I had been on a 10-day mission trip. It was my first foreign mission experience in Russia and in Poland. And uh, needless to say, those 10 days in Russia uh, were not what I was used to when it came to the fare, when it came to the food. And uh, as a 12-year-old boy, I was really tired of eating food that I didn't like. And um, you can tell how spiritual I was, by the way, as a 12-year-old. The main thing I was thinking about was getting food that I liked, but I was worn out with uh, the food that was available to me in Poland in the early 90s. And so at the end of the trip, we went to Warsaw, which is the capital and the biggest city of Poland, and one of the first things I saw were the golden arches. The golden arches of McDonald's. And, you know, I don't like McDonald's at all today. Uh, it does bad things to me on the inside, but... That was a wonderful experience, to be able to see a familiar American fast food place. And it's a meal I still remember. In fact, I think it's the most delighted I've ever been in my life by food, which again probably says something negative about me. But I got a quarter pounder with cheese, a large fries, and a Coke. It was great. It was great. And that's something that happened almost 30 years ago now, and it's a proof for me that food and meals can create long-term memories. It can create long-term memories, can't it? I wonder what your favorite meal is, maybe your least favorite meal. Nate's favorite meal ever, my oldest son, is probably one he doesn't even remember. I don't know if it's his favorite, but when he turned one year old, we had a birthday party for him. And really, let's be honest, a kid's first birthday party is for his parents, really, right? We survived. We survived one year of having a child, and we gave Nate a big cupcake, and it was the first time he had had a cupcake, and I still have this vivid memory of watching him devour the entire cupcake as he sat in his high chair. Food creates memories. One of the things we're seeing in this series, which we're calling Meals with Jesus, is that Jesus is around food. He's around drink all the time. 
all the time in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, he was around food and drink so much that he was accused of being a glutton, someone who eats too much, and a drunkard, someone who drinks too much. And we've seen again and again that the excess of food and drink in the Gospel of Luke reveal to us and show us the excess of the grace of God, the grace of God that's intended for you. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's happened in your week, the grace of God revealed in Jesus is intended for you right now, this morning, here in San Antonio, Texas. Jesus came to wine and dine with sinners. Jesus came to wine and dine with tax collectors and prostitutes, with the broken and the battered, with the outcast and the isolated. And in this story, Jesus is at another meal. If you look in verse 1 of chapter 14, you'll see that he's at a meal with the religious leaders of his day, the conservative religious establishment. These people were called Pharisees. And during this meal, Jesus tells multiple stories. We call his stories parables in the course of the evening together. And the one that we're going to look at today is another party. He tells a story at a party about a party. He tells a story at a banquet about a banquet. And the banquet that Jesus is talking about in this story is metaphorical, of course. It's really referring to heaven. It's referring to the kingdom of God. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells the same story, but Matthew changes it up a little bit. In Matthew's gospel, the wedding feast is for the crown prince, and it's thrown by a king. So we have this story by Jesus at a meal, about a meal. It's a meal within a meal, and it's really instructive for us. It really is. So I want you to focus in with me in the next 20 or 30 minutes as we look at it together. This parable is obviously um, directed towards the people that Jesus was eating with, the Jewish leaders of his day, towards the people that were sitting there at the table with him. And here's why Jesus is telling this story. Here's why he's talking to them. He's talking to them because their underlying assumption is that they will be the ones at the banquet that they will be the ones at the banquet that is heaven. That's why one of them says in verse 15, where Rachel started reading, blessed is everyone, parentheses, including me, of course, who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So Jesus, when he hears that, tells this story. And he tells this story to challenge their assumptions about who is in and about who is out. Yet the story is also directed to us. It's directed to you. To people who, like most of us in San Antonio, have been around religion for a while. To the theologians and the conservatives and the church leaders. And Jesus is challenging our assumptions as well. Jesus in this story is issuing a call and he's issuing a warning. Both at the same time. He's warning you not to delay in responding to him. Don't delay in responding to Jesus. And he's calling you to accept the invitation to the party. To accept the invitation he offers. So maybe, just maybe this morning, the Holy Spirit of God, as he's right here, present at work, is up to something in your life. I promise you this. Right now, the Holy Spirit is extending you an invitation. He's extending you an invitation to the feast of God. To the banquet of the Lord. To heaven. Don't refuse. Don't refuse the invitation. Two parts of this story, the guests who refuse the invitation and the guests who accept the invitation. Let's look at those together. First, the guests who refuse the invitation, verse 15 through 20 or so. Notice in Jesus' story, there's this man who gives a banquet and he sends his servants out to invite guests. But notice he says there in verse 
17, say to those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. So the way invitations worked in that day is that really there were two invitations. The first invitation was kind of like an RSVP or a save the date card. It was sent out weeks or even months in advance. And this invitation has already gone out in Jesus' story. And all of these people have said, what? Yeah, we'll be there. We'd love to come to your party. But then there was a second invitation that was sent out, which is what's happening here. The master tells the servant to go out and say, basically, hey, everything's ready. The food's been prepared. The home is open. Come on over. And so at this point, to not show up, <laughs> at this point, to refuse the invitation is just, it's just rude. It's very discourteous in any culture and in any society, but it's more than just rude and discourteous. It's actually also insulting. It's insulting to the person giving the party. So hopefully you can make sense of Jesus' parable. Some of Jesus' parables were very difficult to understand for the people that he told them to, but this one was very clear right away. Because the people sitting at the table with him certainly understood it. You see, these people in Jesus' story that were initially invited are the people of Israel. They're the people of God in the Old Testament. These are the people that have been called by God and chosen by God and set apart by God. The Israelites had the law and the prophets and the temple. But when the Messiah came, the one whom they had been waiting for, when he showed up, when God's promises were ready to be fulfilled, the people of Israel, guess what? They didn't want to come to the party. They said, I'm not interested. That's why John, in his gospel, says, John 1, Jesus came to his own. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So the religious leaders at the meal with Jesus, you got to hear this, the religious leaders, the people that knew their Bibles backwards and forwards at the meal with Jesus, thought they were going to be at the party. But Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, actually, you're rejecting your invitation when you reject me. You're rejecting your invitation when you reject me. Not all of you are going to be here. That was probably a pretty awkward moment. Jesus is not scared of conflict. You're not all going to be here, he said. I want you to keep in mind at this point that in the context of the story, this would have been a great party. Do you know that? This would have been a great party. No one would want to miss this party. In this story, it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime event. It's the wedding reception of the crown prince. It's a big deal. It's an honor to be invited. It's going to be great. To not show up for any reason at all is just crazy. So let me ask you, do you know that God really is going to throw a great party? Do you know that? God is really going to throw a great party. You're going to want to be there for it. That's what heaven is like. What do you think of when you think of heaven? What do you think heaven's going to be like? I know growing up, I would often think that heaven is going to be like one long youth choir practice. Although we'll be sitting on clouds and disembodied. And to me, frankly, that sounds terrible. That's not something I want to go to. In fact, I would likely reject the first and second and all invitations to a party like that. Some of you think heaven's going to be like this, you know, pathetic, milk toast wedding reception where there's some crusty appetizer with some weak sauce grape juice. You know, let's be honest. Um, I've been to a lot of weddings, and usually Christian weddings are not nearly as fun as non-Christian weddings. 
They're just not. Uh, a few years ago, I went to my brother's wedding. My brother's currently not following Jesus, and, but his wedding was amazing. It was awesome. We had a great ceremony, and afterwards we went to this amazing place right on the lake in Austin, and uh, there was great food, there was great wine, there was dancing, and everyone had an amazing time. It was a lot better than a lot of the Christian weddings I've been to where we should really be celebrating where, of course, we don't, we don't dance. That's another sermon for another day. Um, we don't have that much. We're very reserved. You know, that reflects something about how we celebrate. And how we celebrate reflects something about how we view God and how we view heaven. What's heaven going to be like? It's going to be a great party. Remember a few weeks ago I read Isaiah 25? This is in the Bible. This isn't just me telling a story about a non-Christian wedding. This is in the Bible. Isaiah 25. Here's what he says. Heaven is a feast of rich food. Heaven is a feast of well-aged wine. Rich food full of marrow. Aged wine well-defined. The best meal you've ever had can't begin to approximate this party. If you think about heaven and you don't long for it with every fiber of your being, if you think about heaven and you don't long for it with every fiber of your being, you are not thinking about the real heaven. You have not yet arrived at what heaven is really going to be like. But back to Jesus' story, some people don't want to go. They don't want to go to the party, and so they refuse the invitation. Now look at the story. Why do they refuse? Luke gives us three people, and they all have excuses. And boy, these are just lame. They're lame. Lame excuses. Look at it. It's, it's, it's not that they could not come. It's that they would not come. It's not that they could not come. It's that they would not come. The first guy, verse 18, he says, I bought a field, and I've got to go out and see it. Sorry, can't be there. Think about that. Who buys a piece of real estate without having already been out to look at it? This guy undoubtedly would have spent a lot of time looking at his field already. He's already done his due diligence. Surely, there's no reason for him not to show up. The second guy, verse 19, I can't be there. I bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go examine them. Again, if this guy knew what the party was going to be like, the livestock can wait. The livestock can wait. And then the third guy, verse 20, uh, I just got married. I've got this wife now, so I can't be there. The last thing young new wives want is to get dressed up and go to a party and dance and have good food and have a glass of wine and enjoy time together. That sounds terrible to young ladies, I'm certain. These excuses are lame. They make no sense. And here's the thing, all of these excuses in one way or another, they reflect really the same heart condition. They reflect a general indifference. General indifference, general disinterest in the banquets general disinterest in the feast and here's the point an invitation has gone out to all of you you get to go to Jesus's party you get to go to heaven which is gonna last forever and there's not gonna be any bad stuff there it's all gonna be good stuff better than the good stuff we know now and you don't get invited because you've deserved it or earned it. You get invited just because Jesus loves you, and you've all been invited. Jesus is right now. Right now, he's preparing the best party in the history of the world. He's planning and preparing the party to end all parties. It's a feast. It's a resurrection feast. It's celebrating the conquering of Satan and sin and death and hell 
and separation from God and all the evil of this world. It's celebrating that through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And everyone who's invited is welcome to come. That invitation's going out to you. But, but how many of you, really, you're just not moving forward toward the kingdom because of some lame excuse? Well, I'm not so sure about Jesus. Uh, I'm really busy working. Or, I'm in college now, so I'll start thinking about that after college. Or, you know, it's just not a good season for me. I'm busy with my job. Or, uh, I've got a lot of hobbies. Or, you know, I've got to catch I've got like eight shows on Netflix. And all of my free time has got to be crammed into catching up on The Good Place. To catching up on Breaking Bad. To whatever. Um, life's just filled with lame excuses. I'm working on my car. Uh, I'm working on my house. Oh, we've got kids now, so I'm distracted. I'm single. These are my selfish years. They're for me. Or your kids are grown, and you're like, I got my selfish years back. I got my selfish years back. Lame excuse after lame excuse after lame excuse from people like us, from people who at some point in their life raised their hands and said, yes, I would like to be a Christian. And Jesus says, okay, come. Okay, put your life on a path towards me. And they say, well, I can't make it. I'm, I'm really busy right now. Listen, Jesus' point is that the banquet is ready now. It's ready now. God's throwing the party for his son. He's not going to wait for you to get ready. And if you're not ready, when the banquet starts, he's going to invite someone else. The party is ready now. It's going to happen. So Jesus is saying, stop procrastinating. Stop delaying. Stop making excuses. Stop. Stop. Don't reject the invitation. It's an offer that you shouldn't ever refuse. This story reminds me of this famous uh, quote from a missionary named Jim Elliott who was martyred as a missionary when he was very young. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot ever lose. Does that reflect the priorities of your life? Don't be like those who reject the invitation when the party's ready. That's what some of the guests are like. Secondly, we see that there are guests who accept the invitation, though. The initial guests say, uh, no thanks. No thanks, I'm busy. I've got some cows, I've got a wife, I've got a field. So Jesus uh, tells us that the master, he's angry, he's upset about that, and he says, hey, I'm not canceling the party. This party is going down. This party's going to happen. Everything's ready. So, hey, buddy, get out there. Go invite more people. Go find people to attend. You ever thought about this? You've probably heard this story before. Why is the master so intent on making sure that this party is full? You ever thought about that? Why does he care so much? Like, would it be that big of a deal to be, you know, a half-empty party? It would still be fun. Hey, more food, more drinks for everybody else, right? But no, this master wants a full house. Why? Why? Well, remember in Matthew, in Matthew's telling of this story, Jesus says the party is for the prince, and it's being thrown by a king. And so that leads us to the reason. The reason is that the king is determined to honor his son. The king is determined to honor his son. Think about that. If you're a parent, none of us 
would want to have a wedding for one of our children that's going to embarrass them by a lack of attendance, where you invite 200 people and 25 people show up. None of us would want our children to be embarrassed and dishonored in that way. So do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying God is determined to honor his son. There's no way that God is going to allow this banquet to not be standing room only because the fame of the name of Jesus is at stake. God wants Jesus to receive praise and honor and glory. And so, verse 23, he compels us to come to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So the master sends out another invitation. Look at verse 21. Go out quickly, go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Verse 23, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Now remember Jesus' audience, it's the Jewish religious establishment. And it was customary in that time. It was customary. It was normal to not allow certain types of people into Jewish worship services, into the temple, because they were viewed as ceremonially unclean and therefore unworthy to come before God. Now take a guess. Take a guess what sorts of people weren't allowed into the worship services of the people that Jesus is talking to at that table. The blind, the crippled, and the lame are barred from entrance to worship. But what does Jesus do? Jesus at that dinner table completely reverses their expectations. Remember, the way of religion, the way of religion here is to make sure that you can reassure yourself that you're in a different category from these kinds of people. From needy people and hurting people and unclean people. That's not me. That's them. So they bar them from entry. They say, you stay over here and I'll be over here with the good people. But what is the way of Jesus? What is the way of Jesus? What is the way of the gospel? Well, he tells us through this story. It's to invite the needy. It's to invite the weak. It's to invite the broken. Jesus tells us that earlier in Luke, in Luke 4, when he quotes from Isaiah, and this is kind of the programmatic statement of what he came to do. Read it with me. He says, Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. Good news to who? Say it. The poor. The poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So who is it that comes to the party? The weak. Who's in heaven? Who is in heaven? All the poor and powerless. All the lost and lonely. Who is in heaven? It's those who know that they don't have any chance. It's those who know that they have no hope. It's the hurting it's the marginalized, it's the intolerable people, it's the untouchables. And beyond that, it's, it's Gentiles. It's those ungodly foreigners. That's certainly a part of what Jesus is after here. The ones in the highways and the hedges are those whom God pursues in light of Israel's rejection of him. It's the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus approaches in John 4. It's the Roman centurion who sees Jesus die on the cross and believes surely he is the son of God. 
It's all the people who were there listening to Peter preach in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. It's the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites. It's the residents of Mesopotamia, Peter says. And it's you and it's me. It's people of every tribe and tongue and nation. It's every color of skin. It's every economic class. It's every cultural tribe. It's us. It's us. Here's what the Holy Spirit's asking through this story. Do you see this? Do we see this? Do you see yourself as one whom Jesus has compelled to come to his party? Or do you see yourself as one who deserved to be there in the first place? Are you one that Jesus had to drag in because you couldn't carry yourself? Or are you one who was born with the proverbial spiritual silver spoon in his or her mouth? The way you view yourself in this respect makes all the difference in the world. The truth is, according to the scripture and according to God, we're all poor, we're all crippled, and we're all lame. We're the spiritually poor. We have nothing to offer for our salvation. We're the spiritually crippled. We're made powerless by sin. We're the spiritually blind. We're unable to see the truth about Jesus on our own. We're the spiritually lame. We're unable to come to God on our own. We can't pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can't do it. So God comes to us. God invites us. Luke says God compels us. He doesn't force us against our will, but he woos us. He beckons us. He summons us. He carries us. I mean, can you imagine that? Will you do this? Do this with me. Thought exercise. Just picture this story in your minds. It makes it come alive. The king invites anyone and, and everyone into the feast. And the hall is filled with guests. Now imagine the, place that, the places that this servant of the king has to go. He's going under highway bridges. He's going to the very hedges of the community, to the people that are hiding from the bustling world. The guests at this banquet, they're the unlikeliest people of all. Can you imagine that? You can imagine this servant approaching a, a poor blind beggar and handing him an invitation with a royal seal and then helping him sort of, you know, stagger into the banquet hall. Imagine the servant approaching the prostitute, plying her trade on the street corner, taking her away from her pimp into the presence of the prince. Imagine the servant coming and taking a homeless man, scrounging in the trash can or in the gutter for that day's food and setting him before a table filled with more food and wine than they've ever seen in one place. Can you imagine that? Picture that in your mind because that's exactly what God the King in his extravagant grace is doing for you. That's exactly what God the King in his extravagant grace is really like. He takes the broken people and the broken people only. Which is to say he takes you and me. Distraught and messy and addicted and compulsive and poor and sinful. And he brings them to a place that they never deserved to be and that they never expected to be. Amazingly, you know, these poor people, they didn't do anything. They weren't knocking on the king's door to get let in. They didn't do anything. They, the king's simply being gracious. He's simply being gracious to them and taking them out of the alleys and the gutters and the muck and the filth and bringing them to his own royal table to celebrate with him like they'd been his longtime friends. And, and he's so intent on their attending that he actually sent the prince, not just a servant, 
He sent the prince. He sent Jesus. He sent his son to be made like them and to take away their sin and their guilt and their uncleanliness through the cross. God gave up what was dearest to him. God gave up what was dearest to him in sending Jesus so that anyone and everyone, no matter what and no matter who, can come to Jesus' party through simple faith in his love displayed at the cross. This story so beautifully exhibits for us, friends. It so beautifully exhibits the gratuity of the gospel. It's grace. It's non-discrimination. It's distinctive openness to outcasts and to failures and to problem people and to the unimpressive, the flawed, as this series has shown us repeatedly, are especially dear to the heart of God. Are you flawed? Bring your flaws. Bring your flaws. What happened this week that made you think, what am I doing? I can't do this anymore. What? If anybody knew this, I'd be ruined. Someone knows that. Someone knows that about you and much, much more. He's the one who invites you. He says, in fact, it's exactly people like you that I'm after. Bring your flaws. Bring your failures. Bring your outcasts. Bring all of your problems and lay them down at Jesus and go to the party. Jesus is calling you. He's inviting you to his party, to heaven. He's doing it right this very second, right now. Don't refuse the invitation. Don't say that you'll wait till you have more time. Don't make excuses. Don't say, I got baptized at youth camp when I was 14, and I'll get back to that when I'm ready. Don't say, well, I, my parents raised me in the church, but right now I've got other priorities. I can't focus on spiritual things. Don't reject the invitation. He's, he's offered you himself. He shed his blood to bring you into his home. The invitation's completely free. And uh, the party goes on forever, as a country music musician said once. The party goes on forever. Will you come? Uh, Downton Abbey's back in the news, right? Remember the show, Downton Abbey? I think there's a movie. Movie, right? There's a Downton Abbey movie out right now. Uh, I love the first couple of seasons of Downton Abbey. It's about this very aristocratic British family in the early 20th century and all the drama that surrounds their life as the world changes. And it's about the servants in their home. And uh, there's the servant life downstairs in the Downton Abbey mansion. And then there's the esteemed aristocratic life upstairs in the Downton Abbey mansion. The way that they eat dinner probably resembles a lot like what the banquet of heaven is going to be like. But my favorite, one of my favorite parts of Downton Abbey is in the second season when World War I has begun. And uh, it's a couple of years into the war, and the hospitals in London are overwhelmed with patients. And so Downton Abbey, through the persuasiveness of some of their daughters, open up their home to all of the maimed and lame and hurting and broken soldiers who have been injured in the battles of World War I. And the palace is completely filled with hospital beds and cots strewn everywhere and bandages and salve and nurses and makeshift uh, doctor's quarters. And the whole amazing, illustrious place is, is, turned into a, is turned into a hospital ward. 
And as I was watching that, I couldn't help but remember this story. That really, that's exactly what heaven's going to be like. It's the most amazing and beautiful place we can ever imagine. Filled with people that you would never expect to be there. Jesus is a doctor. And Jesus came to heal people who know they're sick. He wants to heal you now. He wants to heal you now. Will you come to him? Let's pray.